Hello and welcome to Cold Picks Radio, WCPX 66.6 on your pod dial with me, your host, Django Nudo. And the Smart Peddler. And this is our 17th episode, so I think we're starting to clock them up. Hmm. Thank you to all of our listeners who are still tuning in, listening to our inane chatter. We've got some very big news this week, and we've got a very good guest as well to talk about our special theme of the week, which is Stockholm Syndrome. And um, funnily enough, we're recording it from Stockholm as well. So, you know, what are the odds? Pretty slim. Anyway. Getting right back to the big news of the week, and some of you would have seen it already on our social media channels, but we can finally announce that we are having a season of cult films with the great UK boutique cinema chain, Everyman Cinemas. Are you excited, Smart Peddler? So exciting, and it's, uh, is it four evenings? It's four evenings, well, technically eight evenings, actually, but it's going to be four films, in four cities, five locations, because there are two in London and across two evenings in London as well. And we're going to have celebrities introducing each and every one of those films. So we can finally talk about it. We've been planning it for a long time. We're super happy with every man and that they want to take a chance on old cult films. So kicking it all off is going to be on the 21st of September, so less than two weeks from today, when we're going to be having a special screening of George A. Romero's classic zombie, uh, zombie classic, Night of the Living Dead from 1968, beautifully restored, and it's going to be introduced by none other than Dave Norris, who some of you will know from Mark Kermode's podcast as The Last Projectionist Standing. Now, the films are going to be shown in four cities. So it's going to be London, it's going to be in York, it's going to be in Glasgow, and it's going to be in Bristol. In London, it's going to be shown at the Broadgate Cinema in East London, but there will be a special screening as well on the Friday, the following Friday after Tuesday, when they're going to have a late night showing of it at Screen on the Green in Islington. So if you live in the UK, and if you live in one of these cities, we really hope you can make it. The other three films that we're going to be showing after this are going to be She Freak, Anita, Swedish Nymphet, and Silent Night, Bloody Night as a Christmas special. And we've got great people introducing each and every one of these. So we've got uh, the wonderful Karen Krasanovich introducing She Freak. Christina Lindbergh herself is going to be coming to the UK to introduce Anita. And finally, we've got the horror guru himself, Kim Newman, who's going to introduce Silent Night, Bloody Night. And they're going to have a recorded greeting for all the cinemas. Obviously, they can't be in every cinema at the same time. But they will be popping up in person at some of these sites. And we're not going to reveal which ones yet. But yeah, you can not only get to go to a cinema and see a great cult classic but you can actually meet some of the people um you know who are behind this and supporting this so really hope you can make it are you going to be coming over smart peddler i will probably pop over with christina Lindbergh for uh two personal appearances we won't tell where but um we have it confirmed from the star herself yeah and the second one, since it's only showing in one location, you can probably work out where that's going to be on the Friday. 
But um, no, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy about this because we've been talking about for a long time that Cold Picks, you know, we not just streaming platform, it's a real life community for film fans. And we've had the kickoff screenings at Bio Aspen here in Stockholm. And we've got other international destinations planned. But the fact that, you know, between all of these, we're going to be having 20 cinema screenings across the UK of films which you could watch on cold picks or you might have seen them already but it's a completely different thing to go and enjoy them with a room full of you know fellow film fans uh enjoying the same film meeting up with them beforehand talking about the film afterwards and we get a chance to meet up with you because we're going to be there so we really couldn't be happier it's very exciting. I mean, this is our first step to world domination, obviously. So we will uh, we continue to reach out in different countries. And we have two whole weekends coming up uh, in November. And we'll talk a bit more about that when, when the time come, comes. Yeah. So wherever you are in the world, the hope <clears throat> is that one day we'll make it to your neck of the woods. And that we'll be able to have a real-life get-together, a cinema screening, a, you know, group appreciation of the kind of things that make these films so great. So as, as you know, hashtag we are cult picks. That's enough of a plug, but yeah, you can book tickets now. So go log on to the Everyman website if you're in the UK and get your tickets early. Because believe you me, um, if nothing else, the uh, Night of the Living Dead is already selling. So don't leave it too late or until the last night to get your reservations in place. Now, um, we've got a fun topic for the week. Do you want to introduce it, Smart Peddler? Yes, we figured out, as we do when we, uh, we look at our, our output of films, that they suddenly mesh together in, in different themes. Yeah. And uh, we definitely found one, um, which was Stockholm, the CD Stockholm of the 70s with... Uh, Porn clubs, uh, porn cinemas, um, porn shops. Uh, it was, it was a time when uh, censorship had just been stopped for for, uh, well, any kind of nudity and porn. In it was in 1971, mm. so it's it's a it's a jubilee now for the abolishment of censorship, mm. and we found some some great films to to be part of this theme. Yeah. And what I find interesting about this is these films are like, they're, they're a time capsule. They're like a time machine that you go back to and, and you almost don't recognize the city. I mean, it's, many of the buildings are the same, but it's just changed completely in those 50 years, the attitudes and the things. And what I found fascinating when I started digging into this is, of course, that, yeah, Swedish sin is a big thing, has been for a long time. But Stockholm isn't one of those cities that ever really had a reputation internationally anyway as, as kind of being seedy. I mean, there are so many other cities. Like if you went to Paris or London or Copenhagen or Amsterdam and you asked, you know, where's the seedy district? Everybody would know it. You know, it's it's always defined to that. Pigal, Soho, Red Light District, Christiana in, in, or Raperbahn in Hamburg. Mm. I mean, there were seedier parts of Stockholm, but it didn't have a seedy area as such. Did I it? would say that the, the 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 porn industry was an integral part of Stockholm in in all in all parts of, of downtown Stockholm. So you know, the the seediness was in the fabric of the city itself. It wasn't just 
contained in one area for the benefit of the tourists that they could come and, and see it. But it did have some parts which were a little bit seedier than the other, didn't they? The Nora Kyrkogården. Klara Nora Kyrkogården, yeah, yeah, that's or, right. Or also known as Klara Porn uh, yeah. Cemetery. And Gatan, which was the, the Hooker Street. Yeah, but so there were clusters, I suppose, of these adult cinemas and sex clubs and streets where you know women of the night would ply their trade mm. and this does come through i mean maybe we shouldn't talk about too much in detail about all the films because we've got a great interview with somebody who was actually there at the time working behind the scenes at the cinemas that were showing these films uh with some great anecdotes but i, I just want to name check really because three of these films are really purporting to be documentaries um of the city that was how accurate smug peddler would you say that the 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 three documentaries that we have on there are i would say they're completely fake all of them uh they have some elements of truth uh more or less i mean uh report from stockholm sex tresk or report from stockholm sex swamp which is the direct translation is in fact a documentary and they are out in the streets and they are in clubs but I mean, uh, there are interviews, and they're obviously fake, and they they made it for a reason. And then they added a bunch of of striptease numbers, just as very long ones, just going on and on. Yeah. And of course, the the Chat Noir one is a uh, is basically a plug for the uh, for the sex club Chat Noir. So they made it themselves. It's more of a commercial. And then uh, the the favorite film, um, Sweden Heaven and Hell, Sezia Inferno e Paradiso from '68. It's a classical uh, Italian Mondo movie, but instead of natives in Africa, they are looking at the <laughs> natives of Sweden and their strange customs and behavior. And uh, I always say that it sounds like the voiceover was was uh, written by the Pope himself because it's this very traditionalist Catholic Italian way of looking mm. at Sweden with its social reforms and women wanting to go to work. Yes, and then they are adding tons and tons of stuff about alcohol, drugs, suicides, criminality, and so forth. And above all, the primitive mating habits of the local teenagers and so yeah. on. And famous for one other thing, which uh, maybe we shouldn't spoil, but it can be our transition music number to our interview, which is a very, very famous song, which most of you probably thought was originated with the Muppets but actually came from Sweden, Heaven and Hell, this, you know, bizarre Mondo movie, which it, it's still strangely gripping because, I mean, obviously it is a lot staged. You know, they're not really filming biker gangs raping innocent girls. They're actually actresses and famous too at that. Um, but they have, you know, made use of the truth about the openness of, of Sweden and found some strange odd examples like the married brother and sister, I think... Very odd indeed. <clears throat> I think that one sticks out. Yeah, it does. Um, That's the episode. I talked to a woman some years ago when we had a theatrical screening of the film. Uh, she called me up and said, I think I have a, a part in this film. And I said, okay, wh- wh- what did you do in the film? I think I'm the girl who commits suicide jumping from a bridge. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, um, she came to the screening and she could watch her 16-year-old self uh, throwing herself from a bridge. Well, not really, but uh, so they had used like extras and, and amateurs for all these yeah. parts, and and they didn't even know what they had been part of. 
yeah. but she kind of figured it out and, and okay. came along to the screen. So we've also got a couple of Christina films and Eugene Verman, but between that, should we play the music and then do our interview with uh, Mats Kalander, who is probably the greatest uh, projectionist and cinema technology expert Sweden has ever had, uh, and who was alive and working in behind the scenes in many of these places. So why don't we hear from him? But before we do, why don't we hear the song made famous by the Muppets, but actually first came to light during a nude sauna scene in Sweden, Heaven and Hell. Here is Luigi Scatini's Mana Mana. How did you become involved in cinema? Well, I am. Uh, I have worked at uh, SF Swedish Film Industry for, and SFB, all the other companies around SF for 50 years. I built 239 cinemas. I've closed down 184. So I'm. Th that's a positive thing. I've built more than I've closed down. I have uh, worked as. Um, uh, VP establishment and uh, then as president of SF Studio for six years producing a few films and uh, well I've done this and that I started in the cinema business in Vellingby my mother was in the box office so I have worked with cleaning cinemas I have been a ticket collector I have worked as a projectionist and um, I worked as a cinema manager, as a regional manager, as a region, uh, regional manager Sweden, and then uh, executive vice president and all the other mm. fine titles. But uh, I consider myself being some kind of a, everything is funny, let's do it. So how old were you when you started and did you know that you wanted to work in cinema? No, I, I've always loved cinema, I mean I, I brought up in the cinema. First in a small town, uh, eight uh, Swedish miles from from Stockholm, mm -hmm. and then in Mellingby. Mm -hmm. So it it 
I have always loved films and cinemas, so it's not too strange. But uh, in the beginning, my aim was to be a professor in film knowledge. Mm. So I worked uh, as a projectionist for about 10 years and uh, while I studied at the university. So I have degrees in uh, film, English, Swedish and history. Right. Exactly what you need when you build cinemas, isn't it? <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the, the cinema landscape <coughs> in <coughs> Stockholm and what it looked like between the kind of big prestige um, screens mm. and these kind of smaller um, slightly less salubrious. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there were in Stockholm four big cinema companies uh, SF, Europa Film, Sandrevs. No, three. <laughs> no, the Re. Re. Re, yeah. Re. Sorry. So there were four big companies that took all the prestigious films, of course. And <clears throat> besides of these, there were in, in the 40s, 50s until uh, the, the disaster happened, mm. uh, there were a lot of smaller chains or and of course neighborhood cinemas mm. um, <clears throat> some of them later in, in the 60 end of the 60s beginning of the 70s they started showing this um, let's say cultural films <laughs> <laughs> there were there were three really big mm. <laughs> small cinemas showing porn that was London uh, Hollywood and Phoenix right and uh, London was owned by a Swede, oh, his name just ran out here, mm. and in the last years by Bertil Jonsson, Barra Jonsson, mm. uh, at Corona, Corona Film. Mm. With the films come from Corona, you can always earn a Corona, yeah. <laughs> his motto. And um, Hollywood, that was um, Sjöstedt, mm. and then we had Eugen Wörmandom, mm. uh, he, he came from the Baltics. Mm. He told me once that he uh, actually came over to Sweden after the war and had a belt with gold around here, which he then bought Hol uh, Phoenix for. Wow. Yep. So tell us more about him and, and what Phoenix was like and, and working. Well, he, he started up like a, I would say, a very, very nice repertoire with um, reruns of. Uh, classical and films and so but <clears throat> in, in the 60s he started up uh, with of course uh, the, the more porn like films <clears throat> and um, besides from that he, he bought films in the States <clears throat> and he had his own distribution company Pegasus Film <clears throat> you, you remember his <clears throat> yellow labels on the, yeah. the boxes so he bought films there and then he showed them at Phoenix and then he distributed them to other porn cinemas around Sweden. Mm. And he produced his own short films. Yeah, he made his own short films. He once bought a um, bunch of film from Kodak, black and white, and they they were too old to, to be able to sell to anyone else. So he took them and with them he made his small classics, Lena, uh -huh. in the shower and in bed. In bed, yeah. Wow. And so were these shorts run before feature film, between them, or what was kind they of were the programming? Shown, his programs were around two hours. Mm. He started at 12 o'clock and ended at somewhere around 11. Mm. For a reason, he had his 
two 35 millimeter projectors, they were only able to take 600 meter of films, that is uh, somewhere between 15 and 20 minutes. The reason for that was that he wanted the projectionists, he had some um, original, very thirsty and uh, strange people working with him, so he wanted them to stay in the booth, otherwise they would go up and talk to the box office or to the pub nearby. Uh, and we had actually a small warning signal. We had a thing that was on, on the reel. Mm -hmm. So when it came down to a certain level, hell broke loose. Mm -hmm. So then you knew, oh, now I've got to start the other project. Oops. So were the other erotic cinemas in Stockholm very similar in how they were run? Yes, or? Very, very similar, I would say. Um, London got some of the really big films, Lorna, for instance, mm. too much for a man. I don't know if that's the right title in English. The way it was Lorna, yeah. yeah. And um, what can be the English name for moose and some shirt? <laughs> yeah, Pussy Talk. Pussy yeah. Talk, yeah. <laughs> So uh, they showed quite a lot of big, but the biggest hits that I know from those these days are, of course, Deep Throat. Mm. And that was in Hollywood. Right. And um, I have a nice little story that our SF, the big pre president in those days, Kenneth Hunt, together with Ingmar Bergman, wanted to see the film. Mm. So they went down and they tried to be very discreet. But the cinema owner saw them and said, Oh, Mr. Fun, Mr. Bergman, please, you can g go beside the line. <laughs> but there was no big difference by back then in terms of culture and, and no. bad culture. No, no, you no, worked no. in both. We worked in both. Worlds. And uh, a lot of that, as you know better than me, a lot of the directors and others mm. and actors, now famous actors like Stellan Skarsgård, mm. worked with these films. And what about the audiences? Was it very different? Was it the old men in, in dirty raincoats and sort of uh, the adults? Yeah, yes, it, it was quite a lot of men. Mm. But it was either either rather young mm -hmm. or a bit uh, on the elder side. And then there were some uh, ladies I still remember touring around in the rows. Yes. Mm. Whatever they did there. Um, Making an extra buck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what about uh, Lena Skog? Yeah. Uh, Who was she? Well, she, she, she was actually a girl like anyone else from uh, one of the suburbs in, in Stockholm and uh, keen on being an actress in films and uh, open-heartedly, well, more than that. And uh, she made this film with Eugen Wurman, three short ones. Mm -hmm. And um, every summer she actually, for a few years, she was uh, collecting the tickets at Phoenix, topless. Oh. Yep. So that's one of the few times in my life I have had coffee with a girl, topless girl. <laughs> then we had, of course, some uh, some other cinemas. I, I worked with uh, at Fogelblå, that later really became a cultural, real cultural film cinema. By uh, was uh, managed by Swedish Film Institute, mm. and they also showed films. And they had a combination uh, work. You, you know, you could work as uh, mm. ticket cashier and collector, or you could be collector and projectionist. Mm. She was uh, cashier 
striptease girl. Right. So when the film was about to end, you called down to her. She, she ran into the stage, did her things, and then back and sold tickets. Um, you mentioned the, the big three, but there were smaller cinemas as well. So how did they operate, and what was what made them different? Was it just size, well, or the difference was? I would say that some of them didn't operate for for many years. Mm. They were, uh, I mean, Fogelblad that I talked about, one year, one and a half. Mm. I worked twice in Lido. Mm. They had live shows. That was very. So they combined screening films yep. and live shows yes. as well. That was an old Sandro's theater. So they were of, often in the cinemas that had been owned by, by the, the re theaters or Sandro's and of course SF as well, that were closed down in the, mm. either in the end of the fifties. I mean, we we had more than eighty million visits mm. in nineteen fifty six and in nineteen sixty thirty two million. Yeah. So there was a, there were a lot of cinemas that were closed down. Some of them were had had a few years of life, and the kind of people who worked in these smaller cinemas, like yourselves, did yeah. many of them then go on to work in the traditional no. multiplexes or were Qu quite there? a lot of them were, uh, well, I shouldn't say strange, but uh, well, not too mainstream pe people. Yeah. So they worked with these things, and then they, well, when it ended, I know they went to, to some of the porn uh, shops. Mm. Mm. I was really one of the few because, um, well, I, I just did it to earn money. Yes. It was a hell of a good job. I mean, I got you got two hundred working twelve to six to two hundred, and Vorman he came five minutes to six mm -hmm. because he wanted to be sure that you stayed. Uh, and you got 200 in small bills, of course, right. direct from the cinema. And um, I mean, that was um, uh, tax-free. Yes. So I actually did never had to borrow any money for my studies. I always uh, worked my way through university. <laughs> Are there any other films or film screenings that stick in your memory? Uh, of these um, cultural ones? Yes. Yeah, I, I still remember, <laughs> I, what was the name of that, it was an English porn film. Mm. Um, it was, uh, the projectionist that had shown it the evening before, mm. scratched it completely. Mm. It was big, big black scratches. But the thing about this is, even if you p perhaps missed a changeover or anything, yes. never any sound from the audience. They were sitting there with their coats. <laughs> not protesting. No, not protesting. Did the audience ever complain about anything? Well, not when I worked. Mm. And I read that it wasn't really until Hitchcock and, and Psycho that he made the point that you should arrive mm. when the film yeah, starts, starts and watch yeah. it all the way through. But yeah. Because before that, people would walk in halfway through the film, yeah. watch it till the end, then you know, watch yeah. the beginning of it and leave when it, it got to the point that they arrived. Or stay the whole yeah. um, evening or afternoon. And uh, that was uh, Psycho that started it. And I heard from colleagues who had uh, um, worked with with Psycho mm. at the China Theatre, right. about 1200 seats and trying to get 1200 persons to yeah. get in time to a cinema. S Sweden was perhaps a bit um, strange in 
the fact that the, the um, commercials mm. they were very popular yes. so people actually came to see these as well mm. a small little funny thing is that all SF theaters had an ashtray that was this long with small uh, parts mm -hmm. and if you were standing in the lobby smoking and you heard wow the, the commercial starts then you took it out and they were numbered so you can have ah mine as is at number 12 <laughs> so you can take it back when you <laughs> had seen the film <laughs> wow, that service that's amazing yeah. yeah so what happened when video arrived or or how did these erotic cinemas decline and ultimately go out of business I know that Eugen he sold out to I think it was Fornstam, Justa Fornstam he had Phoenix for a few years and then in the last three years I think three or four years his son who was actually building up a very big cinema chain the second biggest nowadays and he didn't want to have the porn cinemas left so he he uh, sold um, Phoenix to, to a guy who was working in cinemas so um, he had it for two or three years but I think they closed in 92-93 something mm. and a lot of them closed in the middle end of the 80s mm. and I think um, um, Inge Ivarsson's he had he had three cinemas running once mm -hmm. he had Sexy Bostock who actually was uh, in those days Stockholm's oldest cinema from 1905 oh. or 1904 and then was taken over by Europa Film and were giving always always reruns mm. and then he took it over for a few years called it Sexy Bostock then he took Sita from mm. the Re theaters and renamed it to Sita mm -hmm. from Rita <laughs> yeah from Rita and uh, first had one auditorium then he built another one mm. up on the balcony and then he had a few uh, i don't know what they call in in uh, english mm. um, in swedish but we runkbos oh wank booth yeah <laughs> <laughs> he had a few of them as well and then he opened up uh, another sandrum cinema called eriksberg and built uh, woodstock mm. And that there I worked for for Inge because I was in charge of the rebuilding of, of that cinema. We built it into one smaller as well. Yeah. So, bef bef was Stockholm as a whole when these cinemas when the prime was it as a whole? Would you say sleazier? I mean, with the sex clubs and everything else going on, or was it just a natural part of the landscape? Or in my opinion, I mean. I worked in it, so for my it it, it wasn't so, so sleazy, and not uh, the real cinemas anyway. Mm. They were, of course, they had their their share of, of um, not paying too much tax, for instance. Mm. <laughs> Some of them were went on. Um, I know uh, Tore Sjöberg, who had Hollywood. Mm. He was one of the guys starting up Hemvideo, mm. which uh, distributed. Uh, VHS. Uh, VHS porn mm. among others and uh, some other films as well of course yeah. and so the same with uh, with uh, Suxia film who was the Fornstam uh, part of the Fornstam family they had a lot of uh, mainstream film as well mm. have any of these cinemas 
survived obviously they're no longer erotic cinemas but can you find any traces of that history of, of Stockholm and cinema today no no I would say uh, Hollywood was closed down in 86 I yep. think and the house was demolished mm. the London cinema who, who also was a very old cinema mm. uh, that's now a restaurant. They had some pictures and artifacts, but not too much. Mm -hmm. uh, Phoenix, you cannot see anything from it. Mm -hmm. It's a beauty parlor, I think. No, now it is a beauty parlor. It used to be a furniture shop, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And Sita. Uh, well, Sita, uh, that's the only one. Eriksberg, Woodstock mm -hmm. was closed down. You cannot see too much of the trace inside. But Sita is, of course, that is... Uh, it's rather fantastic, I think, that their repertoire now is very cultural, but not in the way we talk about. <laughs> but they rebuilt it completely, so you cannot see any traces of the old Rita or Sita. Yeah. You can see some traces from, uh, you have some angels yeah. in the ceiling that you can yeah. see in um, Auditorium 1. Yeah. But that's the only thing I can see. Was it a fun time? Do you look back on it? And yes, think, you know? yeah. it was a fun time course it was very easy going and um, I mean uh, the, the money was not bad mm -hmm. it was you know, working myself th through the university with it and um, but I think I did my last showings in the, about 75 76 and then when I, I in 1980 when I came to film Stalin I of course ended with it but everyone knew, and it was not um, anything that you were ashamed of. Mm -hmm. It was fun time, yeah, really. With a lot of, I mean, Eugen Wurman and Barra Jansson and Sjöstedt, they were very original, originella. Characters. Characters, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they were very nice to, to work with in, in a way. And uh, they were eager to pay the projectionists, otherwise it wouldn't be any films. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much to Mats Kalander for speaking to us and sharing his insights from the time of Stockholm Syndrome, which was also the time of the, the real Stockholm Syndrome, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Smart Peddler. It's true. that It came from the, the notorious bank robbery where uh, the, the bank staff was held hostage for a number of days until the, the police broke in through the ceiling of the of the uh, vault mm. and uh, they sympathized with their kidnappers uh, and that hence the stockholm syndrome yeah and they've made two films about it, i think mm. in the last few years um, what's interesting is you can actually go and visit the bank vault where it happened it's now a clothing shop but make that part of your sort of guided tour of stockholm after you've been to the zita cinema the last surviving cinema from the porn age now showing art house films, as we heard there from Mats Kalander. But I wanted to return to the um, films that are part of the theme of this week, uh, Stockholm Syndrome. Eugene Verman, who we heard about from Mats there, 
Um, tell us a little bit about Eugene, the wild world of Eugene Vermin, Smart Peddler. Yeah, it happened that I w was contacted by a family who had bought a summer house in, somewhere in, in Sweden. And uh, and the attic and the barn were full of film and posters. And uh, so we came there and we found Eugene Vermans like almost complete production of 35 millimeter shorts with nude girls in them uh, in their lab um, plastic bags. So they were brand new. Uh, containing the two films with Lena Skog, uh, Lila, 17 year old, wakes up and Lila, 17 years old, uh, uh, takes a bath. Uh, and they are super innocent. Uh, they just contain women being nude, not doing anything uh, slightly erotic or pornographic. Uh, and uh, they are just very odd. They came just before censorship was stopped, so they are from the late 60s. They're all black and white. They were all shot without sound and without dialogue. And uh, they're lovely. And for the sake of clarity, we should clarify that Lena Skog was very much not 17 when these films were made. Indeed, she was of legal age. She was definitely of legal age. Um, but they're a cute one. And finally, we've thrown in, for good measure, two uh, Christina Lindbergh films into the mix of Stockholm Syndrome, both Made in Sweden from 1969 and Anita from 1973. So why is that? Well, they are both very much uh, Stockholm films. You see a lot of, of exteriors from the downtown Stockholm. And especially in Anita, um, Anita, the, 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 the person who's in the lead of the film, who's a teenage nymphomaniac, she gets a job as a stripper at the actual club, Chat Noir, mm. where you can also see some of the uh, real-life strippers and performers from the club, as well as the director, uh, Torgny Wickman, and his wife, Klinga Wickman, as part of the audience, as oh, extras. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Interesting. And, um, yeah, because some interesting real-life characters that pop out in real life in this, like uh, the owner, Ulrich. I mean, we've posted some great photos of him checking his watch while this famous couple is having sex on stage in the background. Yeah. I mean, how they managed to do that, you know, six nights a week, two matinees on a Saturday, I'm sure. You know, yeah, well, those were different times for sure. Uh, sexual athletes. <coughs> but um, no, what I find fascinating too is all the, you know, rock connections to all this that we've heard about. So you do know what happened to Lena Skog after she her film career in Sweden ended. Oh yeah, she uh, she got married to the drummer of the British band Marmalade. Yes. I think. And she also did a couple of other fun things. She did a couple of film roles in feature films. Yeah. And uh, also was a, a numbers girl in in catches catch can games which is now what we call wrestling. She was, ah. she went in between rounds, oh, held up these the digits, yeah. yeah, and had a bikini on. Gosh. Oh, that I didn't know as well. Mm. I did know she did do films in the UK. Didn't she do a 3D film there yeah. as well? The yeah. Three Dimensions of Greta, also uh, also known as The Four Dimensions of Greta. Yes. Don't ask. <laughs> Extra dimension. Yep. You know, they could charge more for that. Um, sadly died, you know. Only too, too young. Too yeah. young. I think yeah. she was just 50. Mm. But, um, you know, at least you can watch her early films. And they're lovely, innocent, cute. They really are new to cuties. Very in much the so. truest sense yeah, of the world, yeah. um, on cold picks as part of the Stockholm Syndrome Week. So, 
Um, apart from that, uh, we should mention there's been one other new film uh, that we have um, put up this week, and that's uh, Color Correct My Rooster. Is that right? That that is another name for 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 the the, the male chicken. Yes, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> And it's it's from our lovely friends at Vagrancy Films in London, Ontario, uh, who also run the Shockstock um, festival or, or convention. And they have, just like us, collected a lot of 35mm trailers, shorts, outtakes, ads, you name it. And uh, instead of restoring them meticulously they just threw everything together in a blender and out came this wonderful compilation of two hours of action smut porn uh let's go to the concession stand in the in the intermission stuff uh, it's just full of full of full it's, of it's the ultimate grindhouse clip reel isn't yeah. it really so uh Grab a beer, bring some friends on Saturday night and just watch it and have fun. Do you want to explain the title? Uh, yeah, the, the, I don't know the exact details, but they tried to, to uh, peddle this to different distributors. Uh, and they say, no, no, these are, are, you know, they, these are worn and torn and red prints. You have to restore them and color correct them. Uh, so this was the response to that. <laughs> Do catch it, you know, it's great, you know, party night film, play in the background if yeah. you're having those kind of parties. Yeah, works, works the same with the Eugene Berman shorts. Yeah. You can just put them on and you can get some classical music while you're doing it because they didn't have any sound. So they, they put on a record in the cinema. Exactly. There you go. We've saved your weekend listeners. So, yeah. you know, take it from us. Um, I think that's pretty much it for us this week. Anything more to add, Smart Peddler? No. That's it. Okay. Well, be sure to enjoy Stockholm Syndrome on Colpix, and we'll see you again next week. You remember and yet you gave